If you are able to, would you continue standing and turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. So if you turn your Bibles there with me or on your phones or tablets, uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is God's Word to us here this morning. We continue our way in the book of John, picking up now in chapter 4, verse 1. God's Word says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our forefathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming from when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now this morning. And Lord, we thank you for this gift of eternal life that is promised to all those who would place their faith and their trust in Christ. For all of those who have come to see their failings, who have come to see their sinfulness. Lord, you have promised that you will fill us with living water that is eternal life. So that we could have hope 
that goes beyond the grave so that we can have hope for all eternity. Father, I ask now that you be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Inside of every single one of us, there is a longing for something more. Inside of every single one of us, there is a longing to be filled, to be fulfilled. And I would even say there is a longing to worship something that is greater than ourselves. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go and speak at um, the nursing home here in town. And, and we talked about how there's a reason why millions of people travel through our town every year to go to Yosemite. Because they desire to view something that is greater than themselves. They, they desire something to worship, something to long for. And as humans, we long to enjoy something that is greater than ourselves. The problem comes when that longing for worship, that longing for fulfillment, or, or as we see Jesus using the language here, the longing to have our thirst quenched, the problem comes when that longing turns inward. Or it turns to a continual chasing after the promises of our sinful flesh, of our sinful desires that will never fully satisfy, that never quench that thirst for fulfillment, that never quench that thirst for greatness. You know, there's a song a number of years ago that that that, that had the lyrics that, that said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And this woman right here in John chapter 4 is the perfect model for those lyrics. She still hasn't found what she's looking for. She is still searching for something to quench that thirst. And so Jesus, ultimately, as we look at this text this morning from John chapter 4, he's going to point us to the source of our longings for more. And he's going to show us that he alone, he alone can quench that thirst that you have, that longing for satisfaction and that longing for joy. And so Jesus is going to show us here of how how we cannot die of this thirst in this world. And so in this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see the greatness of Jesus because of the gift that he brings. And what is that gift? That gift is living water. So he has this conversation with this woman here at the well in, in Samaria. And, you know, one of the, the unique distinctives of this gospel of John, of this book of John, is is the different dialogues that Jesus has with people. You know, in the other Gospels, there's lots of dialogues that Jesus has, but but they're not often as drawn out and as and, and covered in as much detail as John does. And so here we we have this 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 long conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. In the previous chapter, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus had another conversation, right? He had a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus, he, uh, he has had this conversation with in John 3. Now Jesus has left Jerusalem. He's heading to Galilee and he goes through a region called Samaria. And uh, he stops here as we see at Jacob's well. And I just want to point out real quickly, notice what it says in verse 6. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus was wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Just notice real quickly the glimpse that John gives of Jesus's humanity. 
You know, sometimes people say, well, Jesus wasn't fully human. He was just God. No, no, no. If he wasn't fully human, he couldn't save us. And so we're given a glimpse of how Jesus is actually fully human here. He is wearied from his journey. Uh, you ever been on a journey before and you've been weary? We've got a journey plan this afternoon. I know we're going to be weary. It's a sign of his humanity. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. That's how he can fully save us. So he's wearied. He stops at the well. And you notice it's the sixth hour. Maybe some of your translations uh, interpret that for you and it's noon. So midday, Jesus stops in the heat of the day. He stops at this well and he sees a Samaritan woman and he asks her to give him something to drink. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And what, what, what is this woman's background? Well, as we read a couple of moments ago, we saw that uh, it's not a very good background, right? Uh, she wouldn't be known as someone who was morally upright and virtuous in the community. Uh, she had had five husbands, and the man she's now living with is not her husband. Uh, she is also a, a Samaritan. And so there's a huge contrast here, actually, in John chapter 4, with John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus, who was what? He was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He was known for being uh, morally upright. If there was ever anybody that they could point to in the community and say, this is a good man, a moral man, it would be Nicodemus. He had morality. He likely had wealth. He had a, a position of leadership. I mean, he, he had it all together. He would have been seen as an insider in the kingdom of God. But then you contrast that completely with John chapter 4, right? And with John chapter 4, you have this woman who was a Samaritan. She's a moral outcast in her village. So you say, we have the height of morality and we have the, 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 the great lowest of immorality, right? With Nicodemus, he had it all. This woman was still searching and, and, and she would have been seen by the community as an outsider. But what does Jesus say to them both? They both need Jesus. Whether this person like Dick, whether you're a person like Nicodemus who, who is morally upright and you follow the law perfectly to a T, or you're like this woman who's at the well and constantly searching to have the desires of your flesh consumed. They both need Jesus. So you see, the beauty of the gospel is it's not just for those who are upright, but for everyone. Every single one of us has sinned against God, and we need to know who He is. And so what, what else do we know about this, relation, this woman here, and, and, and what's the relationship between Jews and Samaritans? Well, we're given a little glimpse, right? Of uh, In verse 9, John explains, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She was absolutely shocked. Why is this Jewish man asking me, a Samaritan woman, to, to, to serve him? She was completely shocked. And what do we know about the relationship between Jews and Samaritans? Well, maybe you grew up in the church and you know a little bit more about this relationship. But, but let's just back up and let's look from a big picture, historical standpoint, of what is happening here. What's, what's playing out in this encounter with Jesus and this woman. Well, in, in history, the Assyrians, they captured the northern kingdom of Israel. That's where Samaria was. 
It was the northern part of Israel. The Samaria was the capital. And so what happened in 722 uh, to 721 B.C., they took the Israelites there and they took them, they took part of them out of the land and moved them elsewhere. And then they settled that land of Samaria with foreigners. And what happened is they intermarried uh, with the surviving Israelites. And then what you ended up happening is you have this uh, this blending of worship for Yahweh, the one true God, with the worship that these foreigners brought in with this pagan worship. And then after the exile that happened in the southern kingdom of Judah, Jews went back and they ended up viewing the people who had intermarried. They, they, they viewed them not only as political rebels, but they viewed them as racial half-breeds. And so then about 400 B.C., the Samaritans, what they end up doing is they build their own temple in, in Samaria uh, that's meant to be uh, in stark contrast to the one in Jerusalem. So think about all of that background that's going on here in this interaction with Jesus and this woman from Samaria. You had, consider, consider the barriers that Jesus crossed here. We have ethnic barriers. We have uh, racial barriers. We have religious barriers. And there's all of these issues that would have been at play here. The Jews would have felt a great disdain for Samaria. And at times they called Samaritans dogs. They looked down upon them. They saw them as ceremonially unclean. They were racially impure. They were religiously heretical. And therefore they tried to avoid them at all costs. But not Jesus. And let me just say, the Jews were absolutely wrong to think that way, right? Instead of uh, of seeing the Samaritans as their opponents to be hated and, and look down upon them, they should have seen them as a great opportunity to be a light to them. But they let their prejudice get in the way of seeing the mission field that God had placed them in. You know, friends, we can easily do that today, can't we? Where we can look down upon people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't think like us. And look down upon them and end up actually hating them. Friend, do you hate the mission field that God has placed you in here? We live in a, in a unique state, right? That's a, probably an understatement. Um, but do you hate the people that God has placed you here, has placed here for you to be a witness to? It seems like. There are some believers who talk and speak that way as if they hate those that God has placed around them. Friend, do you hate this mission field that God has placed you in? Or do you see the people around you who are different than you, who think different than you? Do you see them as a great opportunity to be a light and a witness to them? Or do you look down upon them and hate them? We have much to learn from what Jesus does here. It's always, it's always a surprise. Well, it's not a surprise to me. It's always discouraging to me to hear of Christians who talk about how much they hate the state. And I've shared with you how many lost people who are here in California who don't know the name of Jesus, who haven't trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They haven't turned from their sins and turned to Christ. Brothers and sisters, what a great opportunity that God has placed us in here in this state. Not to look down upon those who think differently than you or who might vote differently than you and all of those things. Friends, what a great opportunity we have to be a light 
to this area. To be an example. To be, to be a witness for who Christ is. Think about what Jesus is doing here. This was incredibly edgy. This is shocking. Why? Because people didn't do this. Jews didn't have dealings with Samaritans, let alone a Jewish man with a Samaritan woman. You add to the fact, you know, this this woman, she's so shocked by this, right? That's why she asked him, what do you, what do you, what do you, why are you even talking to me in verse 9? But those are the barriers that Jesus crosses. Not things that should divide us. The world wants us to be divided by those barriers, doesn't it? But not Jesus. You know, we tend to read this story here, this account here in John 4, and think, oh, that's a nice story. You know, Jesus is just striking up a casual conversation with this woman. And, and then he reveals to her that he's the Messiah. No, no, no. Friends, this is so much more than a casual, random conversation that Jesus is having. For the people, that the Jewish people who would have been around Jesus in his day, this woman would have been incredibly looked down upon. They would have seen her as an infidel and they would have seen her as a half-breed. But not Jesus. Why do you think Jesus decided to talk to this woman? You think it's just a random coincidence that he shows up there at that well and this Samaritan woman is there? No, no, no. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's ultimately showing us how he is the fulfillment to be a blessing to the nations. In, in, in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 15, God calls a man by the name of Abram. He calls him Abraham. And in Genesis 15, uh, he says that through Abraham's offspring, all of the nations would be blessed. He said that one of his offspring is going to be a blessing to the nations. And, and I think what we have here is we have that blessing to the nations being shown in what Jesus is doing here. Why does Jesus go through Samaria instead of passing around it like many Jewish people would have done in his day? Why does he go through this area? Because he's giving us a glimpse of God's blessing going to the nations. The salvation that is going to go to the nations. He's teaching his disciples and he's teaching us today that the gospel, the good news that saves us about who Christ is and what he's done, he's teaching us that that good news, the gospel, is not just for one skin color, it's not just for one nation but it's for every tribe and tongue and nation, for anyone who would believe. So he's giving us a glimpse of how this blessing is going out to the world. As we're about to celebrate, as I mentioned on Tuesday, commissioning of, of a couple dozen of missionaries that we're going to send out, again, a continual promise of God's gospel, his good news going to the nations to be a blessing to all people. So do you hate your mission field that God has placed you in and want to leave it? Or you find a way to love it? Love the people that God has placed in your life so that you could be a witness to them. A witness to how their thirst for more can only be quenched in Jesus Christ alone. So there's Jesus. Sitting at this well. It's the sixth hour, as we see in verse 6. It's noon. So there's this woman of Samaria that's coming out to draw water. Now, let me ask you, if you had, most of us, we just, we turn on our faucets and we have water, right? But if you had to go to a well every day to get water and take it back to your home, would you go in the middle of the day at noon? No, right? 
You wouldn't go in the middle of the day. Why do you think this woman is going at the hottest part of the day to draw water? Well, you notice that it says she's alone. Right? A woman came from Samaria. She's alone. There's probably a reason for that. Normally, the woman, the women in a village would go together to draw water from the well early in the morning or, or maybe at sunset when it was not so hot. Uh, also, they, they would so they go to the well as a group. And so the fact that this woman is coming alone in the middle of the day shows us her social status among the people of her village. She obviously was not held in very high regards in her city if she had to sneak out in the heat of the day to draw water. And so she probably left that morning thinking, I'm going to sneak out and get some water and I won't be... I won't be looked down upon. I won't have to deal with the other women in the community that day who looked down upon me for my decisions. But much to her surprise, she goes and she sees this Jewish man sitting there at the well in the middle of the day and asks her to draw water for him. And, and, and so we see Jesus is breaking down that wall, right? The wall between Jews and Samaritans by talking to her. And so she replies, why would you want a drink from a Samaritan woman like me? And she's thinking, why in the world is he talking to me? And let's look at, at Jesus' response in verse 10. And, and here we're going to see the source of our thirst in his response to her question. So Jesus responds to the woman's question in an incredibly thought-provoking way. How does he respond? He responds by answering her. He says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. What in the world does this mean? Obviously, the woman's confused, right? About what Jesus meant. Because she asked him, how are you going to do this? You don't have anything to draw uh, water with out of this well. You don't have anything to draw water with. And then she, she asks, are you greater than our father Jacob, he gave us the well and, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jacob, a, 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 a figure, a character in Genesis, he gave them this well and drank from it himself. And she's like, how are you greater than him? You know, have you ever had a conversation with anybody uh, who clearly had no idea what you were talking about? I know I have. I've also been that person who had no idea what somebody was talking to me about as well, right? But here we have an example of this very thing. What are you talking about? Are you greater than the person who gave us this well? Why? Jacob gave them this well, and it had been supplying the needs of the people who had lived in that region at the point in which uh, this is happening in Jesus' ministry. That well had been running for about 2,000 years. Actually, if you were to go to Israel today, you can go to that very this very same well and drink water from it. Unfortunately, when we were in Israel, we didn't get to go there because it was it, it just wasn't safe to go in that that region at that time. But you can go to this exact spot and drink water from it. So this well has still been running for about four thousand years. So she's saying Jacob gave us this well. That, that, that has met our needs, and it meets our needs for a day. But what about Jesus? So we're going to see how his gift that he brings is actually greater than Jacob. Look, look with me at verse 13. 
He says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. In other words, what is he saying? You have to come here every day, right? To drink of this water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what Jesus is doing here is he's he's using uh, this this illustration of water from a well and he's using it to teach her a spiritual reality. Remember a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said you must be born again to Nicodemus, right? He's using the physical image illustration of birth to to, to describe how we must be born again. We must be made new by God. And he's using that same sort of illustration here today where he uses this well and water to show, look, just like you have to come here every day to drink this water, I've got something greater. I've got something that once you drink of it once, you will never be thirsty again. Because one sip of this water that Jesus offers is enough to never thirst again. So is Jesus greater than Jacob? Yes. Yes, because he brings this water that is symbolic of eternal life. Symbolic of the Spirit coming to bring life in our lives. Where there was only death, there is now life. Where there is thirst, there is now a satisfaction in who he is. And so notice how the woman responds. She says, sir, verse 15, Give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Sounds like a great idea, right? I mean, most of us, you know, we've never had to go to the well and draw the water ourselves. Maybe maybe some of you, when in your younger days, you had to do things like that. But she's like, I don't have to come here anymore. I want this water. And, and you know, most of us have never seen anybody die of dehydration or, or, or get too close to it. But they had in their day, right? They lived in an arid and dry climate. That was a reality for them. And so this is a very uh, vivid metaphor for her. Man, I don't, I don't have to worry about those things ever again. I, I remember uh, last fall, we went, uh, our family went to uh, the Mariposa Fair. It was hot. It was like 99 or something like that. We went on a Sunday afternoon. We drank all the water we had, and we were thirsty driving home. We weren't like dehydrated or close to dying or anything like that, but it felt like it. And so we stopped at a gas station, and we got a couple of bottles of smart water. Now every time we go to a gas station, that's all my kids want is smart water. But it tasted so good, right? Because we were so thirsty. And Jesus is saying, just like you have this need for thirst in your, the, in, in your physical body, there's a need for something to be quenched in your spiritual life as well. And it's so satisfying that you will never thirst again. Look what he says. She says, give it to me in verse 15. And then what does he say? He says, okay, go call your husband and come here. But there's a problem, right? She says, I have no husband. But, but, but Jesus knows much deeper her spiritual condition, right? He says, uh, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So this woman was lonely and she was thirsty. She was searching for something to fill her and she was 
grasping at anything. She had had five husbands. And likely every time she got a new one, she was probably thinking, well, this is the one. This is this is the person who will fill this void, this desire that I have. But every time she was disappointed. And now the only one who could ever quench that thirst that is inside of her was standing right in front of her. And notice. He doesn't say it's okay for you to just go on living this immoral life, right? He says, go call your husband. And when he calls her to go call, when he tells her to go call her husband, what Jesus is doing is she's ex- he, he is exposing the polluted fountains that she is drinking from. She is drinking from this, this, this polluted desires that she has, and, and they are leaving her thirsting for more. Remember at the beginning of the service, I read from Jeremiah 2, 13, where God said, I have this against you. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and turned to what? Turned to broken cisterns that hold no water. In other words, they've turned their back upon God. And that, that's what Jesus is showing her here is, look, you are constantly turning to these polluted fountains, to these broken wells constantly that will never, ever quench your desire for the thirst that you have. Another way this is often described in the Bible is it's idols. What are these idols that you have that you're you're holding on to more than pursuing the one true God? So he's saying, go get that that idol. Go get that relationship, that, that polluted fountain that you are drinking from and bring it to me. Friend, what's that in your life? What might be that polluted fountain that you're drinking from? Is it a relationship? Is it it a thirst for wealth and riches? What is it that you would say your purpose in life is? If you're not living for Christ, what are you living for? What are you desiring? Maybe you're living for your family, a job or some political cause or some adventure or some thirst for popularity. Or maybe you're living solely for your own pleasure in an immoral relationship or through pornography. What is your purpose in life? What what are you living for? What might that be? And what's going to happen when those things fail you? Because they will. Of course they will fail you. That will happen at some point in your life. What happens when those polluted fountains that you're drinking of fail you, you will die of thirst. Those things that, 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 are, that are, you are wanting to quench your thirst, they will dry up. And we see that in this woman here. She's lonely and she's thirsty. She was desiring to be filled. And she was willing to grasp at anything, at any relationship that would come her way. What may be some of those things that you are grasping for in your life to quench that thirst? What may be some of those things that, 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 that others might be grasping at and quenching for this thirst? But Jesus is saying, I am the one who has the source of what can quench that thirst. You will be thirsty if you continue to look at the things of this world. So what is that water? What is the water that he is speaking of here? Well, he says at the end of verse 14, it is welling up to eternal life. So the only source 
of satisfaction and true joy, eternal joy that you can have in your life is coming from Jesus. And what is the gift that he comes to bring to you? It's eternal life. Jesus has the water of life. And friends, you have a thirst. A thirst that no Gatorade, uh, no coffee, no soda, or smart water can quench. All we need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you drink of this, you receive this gift that He has come to give. If you believe on Jesus as, as, your, as your satisfying treasure in this life, if he is more precious to you than anything else this world has to offer because of what he's done by living a perfect life that you haven't lived, by dying on the cross, the death that you deserve to die, and rising from the dead, he's saying you will have eternal life and your thirst will be quenched. Your thirst will be quenched and your soul will be satisfied. So, so stop turning to others to have your thirst quenched because you will only end up like this woman here looking for the next man or the next woman or the next relationship, the next fleeting pleasure you have to fill you. You will only end up lonely and alone like this woman. But with Christ, you'll never be alone. But how many people would rather go through their life trying to quench their own thirst with the things of this world that do not satisfy? Is that you? Are you trying to go through this world with to trying to have your thirst quenched for, for more and for greater things with the things of this world? Friends, the water of this world will not satisfy you because it's polluted. It's broken. And so what, what is John teaching us here in this account with the Samaritan woman? He's teaching us we need the water that Jesus alone has to offer. We need this gift that he alone has to offer. And, and, and let's take a look at this. I want us to look at sort of five characteristics. I was reading a, a pastor, and I thought this was really, really helpful. These five characteristics of the gift of the water that Jesus comes to bring in verses 10 through 14. Let, let's, let's try to find them. Uh, the first thing we see about this gift, this, about, sorry, about this water that Jesus comes to bring is that it is the gift of God. Look at me at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God. In other words, this water that Jesus came to bring is a gift from the one true God. You also see uh, there in verse 10 that it is living water. It's living water. And, and, and what does he mean by this? Well, I, I want you to turn to John 7, verse 38 through 39 and kind of see uh, what is specifically in a more concrete way, Jesus is saying this living water is. Jesus in John 7, or if you can't turn there, just listen to me. Verse 37, he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John explains, okay, what is this living water that Jesus came to bring? It's symbolic. It, 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 he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, when we place our faith in Christ, the Spirit comes and dwells inside of us and is a living, uh, is the living Spirit of God inside of us. 
that will quench that thirst. So it's living water. The third characteristic we see is that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. You see that in verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water, sorry, we're back in John 4 now. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That is, it will always be there to satisfy when your soul is thirsty. We also see the fourth characteristic is that it becomes a spring or a well. It's a well of water. Verse 14. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water. That's why you never get thirsty again. Not because one drink is enough, but because one true drink produces a well for eternity in your soul. The fifth thing is that we see it gives us eternal life. A spring of water, verse 14, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what is this living water? We see it's the gift of God. It's a living water. And if you drink of it, you'll never be thirsty again. It becomes a well of water. It becomes a spring and it gives us eternal life. So he's showing her, look, you are looking for the things of this world to quench that thirst that you have. But none of these things will satisfy you. None of those things will give you what you truly are seeking and longing for. Inside of every single one of us, brothers and sisters, there is a longing for something more. For something greater. We are longing to have our thirst quenched. And Jesus is showing us here that it only comes through Him. It only comes through the life that He has come to give to you. Jesus came to this world to save you from your sins. And not just save you, but to give you eternal life. Not just to save you from the punishment of God for your sins, but to give you life that goes on for all eternity. And he's teaching us and showing us here that you can look for anything in this world, but the things of this world will never satisfy that thirst and that longing for more that you have. And if you are here today and you are looking for that satisfaction that is that, that, that you think is found in the things of the world, May you turn your back on the things of this world and look to Christ to satisfy you alone. Friends, are you longing for more? Are you thirsting for more? You're like, yes, it's hot. I want some more water. Well, may you use this hot that we feel today, at least I feel up here, as a, as a living illustration of the water for eternal life that comes only through knowing Jesus. So have you come to know Him? Have you trusted in Him? Have you believed in Him? Have you repented of your sins and turned to the fountain of living water that becomes eternal life? Let's pray. Father, we come before You now. And God, we thank You that You have shown us here clearly that the things of this world, even good things, will never fully satisfy. They will never fully save. But Lord, we thank you that you point us to the source of our longing and our desire for more. And that's found in your son, Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that if there are any here today who have not trusted in Christ. Who are still seeking the things of this world. Lord, may they turn from them and may they come to accept this gift 
that you have provided in your son, Jesus Christ. May they see the perfect life that he lived for them. May they see his death on the cross for them. And may they see how your son conquered sin and death by rising from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Father, fill them with your spirit. Fill them with this gift of salvation that comes from knowing Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today who are, and for those who are here, who, who are currently trusting in Christ, Lord, may we seek to live a faithful life because of what you saved us from. May we seek to share this living water with those that you place in our lives. Lord, may we not be like, like the Jews who look down upon Samaritans, who look down upon the mission field that you have placed them in and hate the people around them, but may we be broken over their lostness and tell them of where their longing for more can only be found in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.